Yeah, all those things. You know, those other things and those things that we do. Yeah. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba news. Scoob Obsessed episode 209 is recorded live August 7th, 2014. Welcome back to Scoob Obsessed. I'm Darren Gilson coming to you from the west side of the great state of Michigan. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How you doing today, Mac? I'm doing very well, thank you. Freshly uh, immersed uh, from the immersion in the nice warm waters of Inland Lakes. Inland Lakes. So you got your 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 gear has been moisturized? Several times this week, yes. And we also have joining us this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm doing just fine, thank you. And let's see what else. Wow. And I apologize last week again keep a watch out in the feed. I have to do some serious fixing to the audio. The audio last week, probably what everybody heard was the raw feed, not the cleaned up feed. Uh, the, the edited oh, no. feed that I normally, that I normally do. Uh, the audio was so bad I couldn't use it. So I have probably an, an hour to two hours extra of editing uh, to, to make that usable. So in the archives, people who listen years from now will say, what are you talking about? Sounds fine. But it was beyond the ability to edit overnight. And uh, there could be a few things that, are, that were happening. Um, one is I, I had updated some drivers for audio. I'm, I'm using a Mac Air, and there was an update, and I updated part of the drivers, and I didn't update the other part. So that could have been part of it. Also, I was d- running dangerously close on this Mac Air. They have a solid-state drive. And I was down to probably just about a gigabyte free, and I wonder if maybe that could have been part of it. Uh, the other, you know, the other thing is occasionally just goes crazy, so we may have to stop in the middle of the episode and do an audio check. Uh, now hopefully, I'm gonna keep an eye on it. I'm, I'm hoping that in the I'll be able to see jittering because what it did it sounded like uh, Mac and Jim were talking through a box fan. I sounded fine, which is what was important, but uh, I, I still have some audio to fix. So we'll, we'll eventually get these things worked out. Yeah, you know, maybe another 200 episodes or so. And uh, we that more money contributions would not help uh, solve. Uh, no money would definitely help. <laughs> so that yeah, that may be something. I'm I'm going to be on vacation next week, so there'll be no show next week. But that could be something I could work on. Is just making it a little bit easier for people to donate because we haven't exactly made it easy. We we whine sometimes about money, but uh, I've deliberately not done a big push. But I think we're to the point where we need to do that. Uh, get some money. Get some listener donated you know we we kind of went a little bit of and this is something that all podcasts run through is that you think you know build the audience and they will come but advertisers really have no desire in advertising on podcasts uh they they want uh to be able to write a check and then hit 80 100,000 a million people and that's just not the type of audience you get on podcast podcasts you get very focused engaged audiences but you're not going to get huge numbers. So I think that disappoints the advertisers. We go for so quality, not quantity. Yeah. I second that motion. Yep. We have and a so, quality following. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, we have some of the, the greatest fans and followers are out there. So what I think we're going to do is we're going to start doing a little bit more of in-depth type of items. I've always wanted to do gear reviews. And I was looking at uh, what I would say are some of the competitors that I look at in the space of uh, media related to scuba diving. And you really don't get anybody doing impartial reviews of gear. So since we're not getting the advertisers that we'd expect, uh, we're going to go to a listener-supported model. And we're going to do some reviews that people who are getting advertising will be too scared to actually say and put the results out there. So that's a little bit of some stuff that will be coming up. But as is the tradition of the podcast, we're going to jump right on into the news. First article up is a follow-up. If you remember a few months back, I think it was in June, uh, we had the altercation underwater in Hawaii where the fish collector uh, had harassed the, I guess you'd call him an underwater environmentalist. And look at this uh, article. This one's out of the ABC News. 
the fish collector has been charged with terroristic threatening for pulling an air supply regulator out of the mouth of the anti-aquarium industry activists while they're both underwater. Prosecutors filed the misdemeanor charge against Jay Lovell. West Hawaii Today reported, and that was uh, Thursday, so last week, they reported the incident took place off Hawaii when activist Renee Umbinger and other divers approached Lovell while he was collecting aquarium fish to sell. Umbinger and another diver filmed the incident. It's an appropriate charge, Umbinger said. After learning the complaint had been filed, she said people have approached her since to talk about their concerns about the fish collecting practice. People express gratitude for documenting this. Lovell's brother, Jim Lovell, said the divers were disrupting the fish collector's work. It's very clear that uh, Renee Umbinger and her associates are responsible for this incident, Jim Lovell said uh, in an email to West Hawaii Today. Lovell filed a complaint against Umbinger in the episode. For the episode, West Hawaii prosecutors didn't immediately return a phone call to Associated Press asking about the outcome of the complaint. So she got exactly what she wanted. Got a bunch of publicity. Yeah, but I have a big problem with that. And you can probably guess what it is. It, would, it wouldn't happen to be the charge of terroristic threatening. What the hell is that? Is <laughs> that's kind assault? of like a hate. That's like a hate crime. You know, no, if, if you don't even go there. Yeah. But, so like if uh, if you do something and it's it's hateful, that's obviously should be twice the penalty. If you do if you lovingly murder somebody, that's that's much better than hatefully murdering somebody. Terroristic threatening give me a freaking break and if it's that critical why is the heck it a misdemeanor i would expect terroristic threatening to be a felony well what we need to Probably do is we if don't you do is it against the government yeah well the, the thing that we're, we don't know here is this you know are we looking at it through our recently uh our, you know our our vision that we have today with everything that's going on and could this have been uh, something that had been on the books for 20, 30 years when terroristic threatening had a different meaning. But when I first heard that, I was thinking the same thing that uh, you probably are, Mac, which is somebody cooked up this charge that enables them to do, like, it's like once you get something that's in that terroristic grouping, there's all sorts of other charges and events that can happen. I, I just do not understand. To me, is let's take murder. Murder is murder. Period. Whether you're, for whatever reason, how can it be any worse than you'd kill somebody? And then by making it a title, something, it's worse? I don't understand how it can be worse. Dead is dead. Yeah. Well, the, the whole point is, is this is the, the way to censorship. You remember when I was a kid, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And now we've got bullying laws where if I mean... And I call somebody a nasty name and it hurts their feelings and they cry, then all of a sudden that's some sort of hate crime. You know, right. That's a, that that's that's a version of censorship. What you're trying to do is you're trying to put a limit on my free speech because it hurts somebody else's feelings. So if I say I don't like the governor or I don't like the president or I don't like a banker, you're gonna be able to come at me with a whole new collection of charges which people would have laughed at twenty five years ago. So that's, yeah, I saw the same thing when I saw a terroristic threatening. I was thinking, what in the world is that charge? But it's a misdemeanor, which I find puzzling. It's either assault and battery with intent to commit whatever or not. But yeah. what a title is this? PC. Yeah. Yep. So I, I hope I hope more people have picked up on that because when I, I saw that, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, it just should be salt battery. You're underwater. Why? They're, they're testing something out. So our our political moment, probably not the last of today. <laughs> probably not. And now we've got the University of, and I want to say Michigan because it says U of M, but I think it's Minnesota. Or is it Mississippi? They don't say. Minnesota. Minnesota. Scientists will use underwater speakers to deter invasive carp. <laughs> in in this one, I was wondering, are, are they playing Ozzy or something and the fish don't like it? Yanni. <laughs> Yanni, whoo, there you go. Talk about torture. Uh, what they're talking about is, is something we've talked about many times, a species of carp that have been slowly, they say slowly, I think pretty rapidly making their way up the Mississippi River. Uh, scientists at the University of Minnesota are trying a unique experiment to stop the invasive carp from disturbing the stake's ecosystem by installing speaker systems underwater to lock at dam number eight. We 
here we have a shed and it holds amplifiers, sound system, transformers, then plays through these wires that extend into the gate, through the lock, and to the five transducers. This is from Dr. Pete Sorensen of the University of Minnesota. He says, essentially, the annoying speakers will scare off the fish. How, how, do, the fi how do the fish that you like not be annoyed by it? Actually, it works. Uh, I'll use Donald T. Cook plant uh, down here in our corner of the world. They have a uh, sound system that does that, and they introduced it to help keep out some of the uh, invasive species slash nuisance fish like uh, alewives. And theirs is a, an audible sound. 50 to uh, 3K is what uh, the audible sound is for most fish, and that's what they use. Ultrasound needs to be used for a different type up to 100K, and infrasound is for like eels and salmonoids. But uh, it basically is underwater speakers, and somebody hooks up the amplifier, and it puts forth that frequency. But the interesting part that a lot of people wouldn't realize is it's not just sound. There's another system they use uh, besides that, or can use. And it's actually, it's a, it's a um, oh, I'm trying to think of the word for it. It's, it actually creates bubbles, so they use the sound to create bubbles. And that's what they're using in some of the canals to keep out the carp, the Asian carp. Hold, hold on just a second, Mac. Okay, Mac, you were talking about the speakers. Yeah, basically, they have them a cook plant. It does work. And basically, it just annoys them, so they stay away from where they're at. And it makes a cone of noise around the intake structures so they do not get sucked into the uh, circulating water system. It works. Yeah, and uh, according to the levels that they have here... Uh, it, it seemed to correspond with what you were saying. Let me see if I can find an article now. Okay, yeah. So they're saying they were using 500 to 2,000 hertz. They said that's within the hearing range of these fish, but outside the range of native fish. Do you believe that? Well, uh, you I, could do, you know, studies on that to prove your point one way or the other. Yeah, I, I okay. Uh, but the, the sound that they were playing was the recordings of boat motors. Which, considering that, that they say that's what gets them the jump, that would make sense. <laughs> well, they were, they were saying that the jumping was a reaction to the, the motors, which was scaring them, which is why they were jumping. I don't know if I necessarily believe that. But uh, if that's the case, then that would be the way to do it. said, so every time we open the gates, we run the risk of an invasive species animal of some kind swimming through here. He says it's got a pretty good shot in the lab where about 90% of the fish... Uh, I'll, he says, I send information remotely about how many times it was operated with the average use was. Could be five to 10 years to really gauge if the project is working. If it works, it could be the best thing I've ever done. If it doesn't, I guess we've learned something, he said. Well, they use the sound systems like that, ultrasonic or uh, low frequency for crowd control now. Have you seen those? Yeah, those I've, you know, on one hand or one aspect, you think, well, that's great that you've got a less than lethal. But I think sometimes when you get too many less than lethal options, it becomes too easy that events that annoy you, you just use it. Yeah, you know? overreaction. Yeah, it's like, oh, wait, there's 100 people and they're upset about what law I passed. Here, let me turn the speakers on out front. Oh, well, we thought they were going to damage the property or something, or they didn't have a permit. Yeah, that That's my problem with that type of system. Yeah, I, I mean, don't think I've, that's freedom of speech, you mean? <clears throat> freedom yeah. of assembly, you mean? Yeah. Well, well I, you you and I've been, on the, I've been on the other side of that. I've, been, I've had to work details. Where we had, you know, we were controlling crowds and, you know, some of the decisions that were put in, I don't, wouldn't necessarily, necessarily have agreed with, with how the situation was going to be controlled. Horses seem to do a good job of controlling crowds. Well, that, and that's where I was involved was, was with the horses. Cause I can, you can have 20 officers on foot. I could outdo them in one, me and my horse. It's called intimidation. Big it's feet called, and big teeth. Big teeth, yep. And, and then he's just got a playing, horse, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got that. Yep. Oh, that's bad. Okay. Well, I guess that, that gets us. Uh, that, that was political part two. Should we, we, have, we should have a, I need to have like a little bell or a dinger that, uh, every time we, we do that. Avatar sequel has been delayed because James Cameron was underwater. And, uh. By my logic, that makes perfect sense. I think that if you're underwater, you can delay any sort of activity, including the next movie. Uh, the reason why this made the the media is that he's got a new movie coming out this weekend. Uh, his his what are, they, what are they calling it? Do they say it's something 3D, Deep Sea Challenge 3D, which is a documentary, and, I, and it's hard to find. Uh, 
when I looked earlier in the week, I couldn't find, in fact, any theaters within 100 miles of me that had it scheduled to come in. But I want to go and see that. It's got to be a niche. It's a niche film, obviously. Yeah. I sure do like that one-man sub. Oh, would you love to have that? I couldn't afford the upkeep or maintenance. Yeah. Well, then one of the things, I think in this article they talked about it, uh, one would think that scientists who spent their whole life studying this stuff would be a little bitter about having a wealthy Hollywood director who got to take the plunge. Not so, says Rob uh, Muner, vice president for marine facilities and operations at Woodhole Oceanographic Institute in Massachusetts, where Cameron donated the sub after reaching its goal. He says, it's not a dilemma. There's quite a bit of respect for what Jim has done, can do, and I think will do in the future. The oceanographic community looks at this as another exciting input. Did you take a look at the video? Yeah, I did. I watched that. That's that was pretty, a nice... pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, you got to have a little bit of uh, testosterone or something there, brass ones or otherwise, to go down oh, some yeah. of that to that depth. Yes, I, I definitely agree there. If you're claustrophobic, you're not going to enjoy that one at all. No, I wouldn't think so. That was an amazing. So that's why I want to see that. I want to see it. I, I, and I know it will be on TV eventually or something. But I bet that's just amazing on the big screen. Yeah. And not quite a movie like Avatar, but here we've got a dive underwater art exhibit. This one's in Italy. An Italian island art exhibit was set on the ocean floor. A new expedition format dedicated this season. It's a Myers reads a transition uh, translation. In the Italian news release. And if you look in the photos, it shows a collection of 28 photos from South Asia that are arranged in a circle 13 feet deep. It's off the southeast coast of Ponzo. Ponza, P-O-N-Z-A, which is physically installed 4 meters, a little over 13 feet below the sea level. 28 portraits are spread across the sandy floor, and they're all taken in Southeast Asia. The movements of the currents, the seabed... What's that? I was going to say, how many visitors do you think actually look at this? Very few. I would think so. Said so the exhibit's been open since June 18th and will close on September 14th. Exhibition viewers may use snorkel masks to swim down the installation, but the clear water makes pieces visible from the surface as well. They showed sure. the artist who was, who was doing scuba. What's that, Mac? I, I'm, not to be negative, but <laughs> looking at the pictorials and stuff, would you go down and look at that? I'm not going to go necessarily spend $3,000, fly from the U.S. over there, go do a dive just to go look at these. But if these are off St. Joe, yeah, yeah, I might take a peek. Okay. Of course, just we, we, we wouldn't have that much <laughs> that type of visibility. Yeah. Just, just another little quick item so you can edit. Are you sure. are you seeing the police report or whatever it is in the background? Or is that from Jim still? That's Jim. Okay. Is that creating a problem? I, it, it's overriding stuff. I, I can hear that better than I can him sometimes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's why I was curious. It's like, I thought, again, I had a speaker on. So I, if, if, if he doesn't hear it, it doesn't bother. I mean, key item for me is, is being able to preserve it. Yeah. Let's see. The next one is NASA. NASA was doing a little bit of water recovery, and they had the opportunity to use some few scuba divers. This hasn't been something that we've seen in a long time. It looked like the 70s since last time NASA did a capsule recovery from the water. What in the world? I gave you guys a bad link, didn't I? Yeah, I can't get into it myself. Well, that's because I sent you a link to my email box. Here, let me uh, put it into Skype, and you can follow along. Just like the people in the chat room. You actually have some tonight? Yeah, somebody popped in there. Of all the things on that NASA, I'd like to try their moon pool in a suit to see what how I could react to weightlessness if I would do better than they would based on our many hours of underwater time. Well, talk shoes uh, locked up on me. I can't see it. So okay. looks like there's somebody in there. One, two, one, two. Okay. Yeah. Making sure I didn't break anything. Okay. Where was I back? Did, did you get the article? Oh, uh, did you put it on Skype? Yep. It was in Skype. Let me go back to that. Uh, U.S. Navy and NASA wrapped up the second round of practice recoveries for the Orion spacecraft, which is designed to bring humans to the moon, asteroids, and eventually to Mars. Tests took place from August 1st to August 4th, a few hundred miles off the Baja, California, Mexico, where the Orion will splash down December 4th after reaching an altitude of 3,600 miles. December mission will be a crew list, which will take, which will, as will a schedule. Oh, this mission will be crewless, the same as will as well 
Gosh, that's such a bad sentence. In 2007, there'll be an orbit that goes around the moon that will also be unmanned. Uh, we're building a crewed vehicle that will go to other planets. Think of it as a akin to an astronaut taxi. Looks like the old system. It does, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Well, now that we're not friends with Russia right now, they're not going to let us go up uh, to the space station, are they? I don't know. We have to use something like this to come back. Yeah, well, you've got uh, SpaceX has been doing their stuff. I saw that SpaceX had st- stolen some paying customers from the Russia launch vehicle. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. The the satellite they just put up this week was one that the was scheduled to go through Russia, and SpaceX underbid them and took to work. That's good old American enterprise. Yep. Says uh, about 17 Navy scuba divers will help capture images of the spacecraft and collect parts of the capsule that float nearby. Crews of six smaller ships will help stabilize Orion, and three helicopters will provide guidance from a bird's eye view. Would so, be yeah, so, uh, wouldn't that be fun to be in the water? As long as long as it was safe. Be interesting watching that baby come in. Okay, let's hold on a second and check the audio. Let's see, what's the next one up on the list? The ear stuff, the good stuff. That's always the ear stuff. Yeah, this was a blog post, which many times don't make the criteria to get into the show, but I just thought this was a, a good topic. Well, it applies to everybody, and I have issues with mine. As much as I dive, I still have problems. That's why I thought this was quite interesting. So this is an article from uh, backpackingscubadiver.com, and they're talking about... Uh, he says i the what's the most common phrase he hears people say i can't dive because i can't equalize he says whether the person believes or uses the excuse is a different subject but most of the time the dreaded equalization problem can be solved and that surprised me if you if people remember back in the beginning when we i think one of the first episodes when i was talking about scuba diving i was completely taken aback by how much it hurt uh just going down to 12 to 14 feet I just, I I expected equalization to be something that just came naturally. And I don't know if other people have a similar experience. I've and heard a lot of people have, some people can clear just by moving their jaw. I cannot, never has worked for me. If I don't exercise, you know, exercise the station tubes by, you know, pinching the nose. Mm-hmm. I, I exercise it that way. Like when we're going up north to dive, I do that for a couple of days before we go up there to make sure everything's working fine. Yeah, I just start clearing as soon as I leave the surface and don't stop until I get to the bottom. I'm just, I generally know, do that. Every, just clear all the way down. I always have one that doesn't want to clear as easy as the other side. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, I, I can remember researching. You know, after that, uh, and I think it was probably even before my open water because it, it was. I don't say it was such a bad experience. It was just an uncomfortable experience, and it made you wonder if you if I could scuba dive. I just you kind of have a little bit of doubt and reading all the articles by experts on how to equalize. And at some point you, you either have to say, well, this is how my body works and how it's built and how I do it. Or you're going to feel like you're completely inadequate. Cause some of these other guys, like you said, Mac were just, you know, they said, Oh, you could do this reflex action and you can do your jaws and the people who can't do it just aren't trying enough. And maybe I'm not trying enough, but I, I have to hold my nose. Yeah, I just do a Valsalva maneuver all the way down. Yep. And that's what he's talking about in the article. He says do it very frequent, like two times per second frequent. And, uh, yeah, I, I, if I don't do it continuously all the way down, I do it quite often. And you do it before you need it. I, I mean, if I you, do it just like you guys said. You start down, you start equalizing. Yeah. And, I, and it's worked well for me because I go down like a rocket. My philosophy is the quicker I can get to the bottom, the better off I am. But if you can't equalize, I mean, you, I guess that would be the caveat is that if you're going quicker than you can equalize, equalize that's too quick. I would say that's 100% correct. Yep. So this is uh, a good article. Has anybody had a problem with reverse coming up and it blocks? Yes. Uh, uh, only a couple times, and they weren't for any apparent reason. I didn't have that I was aware of an ear infection. I didn't have a cold. I wasn't congested. But I can remember coming up and then you kind of hear like a little bit of a squealing and a little bit of pain. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> and, you know, when you have that happen, then, you know, that kind of can make you a little bit nervous in a free ascent. I would think Cause, so. Yeah, because now, now, like the anchor line, that's a nice security. You know, we're coming up a buoy. Yeah, I can, if I have a reverse squeeze, I can always stop. And 
it cleared itself up and I was fine. But yeah, that, that wasn't fun either. Jim, you said you had a couple of occurrences? Yeah, I've had problems coming up where it just seemed to not clear properly. So I just started doing Valsalva maneuver. You know, first I stretched my jaw, extended the jaw down and kind of stretched it out. And then I started doing Valsalva maneuver and that cleared it up. But I had to stop my ascent. Be interesting to get feedback for how many people do have issues or how many can go straight down with none. Yeah, I mean, that might be that'd be a good study if somebody was uh, looking for a college level item to do for some, some research. Well, I didn't look up Dan. So I'm just curious if Dan had something in there already. What'd they say? I mean, that's, I, I don't know. I just, oh. <laughs> this is new. I should look that up next. Yeah. It's a good topic, though. It is a good topic, and I just copied over my own article. Let me go to this next one. And this one out of Chicago, WGN-TV is reporting, and it seems to be the, uh, the week for them to get some good publicity. But here they're talking about kids and adults with autism doing some diving. You know, and, and autism would not be one that I you would instantly think would be a good match. But uh, they're, they're saying that uh, a son with autism and his dad have been having a great time scuba diving. Uh, Nick Johnson, a scuba student, said, Ever since we started diving, I felt part of a team. We're more connected. Glenn Johnson's Nick's father said, I always wanted to take Nick diving. That's been a dream for years, but I never thought I could do it. Jim Elliott, who we've talked to before from Dive Heart, is dedicated to helping kids and adults build confidence and independence through scuba diving. He's helping Nick, who has autism, do the same. Jim says, we've been working with Nick several years now. Or several years now. Or, God, goodness. Several years now. Uh, Nick said he was nervous at first, but when it comes to water, I just love the water. Uh, Jim said his confidence, he's really into it. It's a special. Scientific study dove deeper. The benefits of scuba researchers at Midwestern University surveyed 10 kids and 10 adults with autism spectrum disorder. They found common theme, theme among them, finding sensory freedom in the water, underwater, visual, and auditory distractions are minimized. The effect is calming. And for someone with autism, it's a welcome feeling. Uh, he says after the dive, he's much more relaxed. It's a lot more and a lot more in the moment. You know, and to me, this makes sense. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I've seen a lot of... Uh, programs on autism and in fact you know osbergers you know, they, they what they call it the spectrum you know the, i think most people have some level of autism i think it's a it's a natural thing uh, it just manifests itself in in more ways and more severely in some to where you to you get to the point of extreme cases uh, sometimes in the autism uh god there was a lady and i wish i could remember her name but she's a really well-known research scientist, and she had an extreme case of it, and she made an apparatus where she would lay in it and fold the sides into her, kind of like squeezed her, and she said that would calm her down. So it makes sense that maybe it's it could be something to do with the pressure, uh, the environment, the filtering of uh, your senses, uh, or it could actually be a benefit. Well, you know, you're right as I think about it. Uh, some autism is a sensory overload too much going on around you at one time. And if you think about diving, you know, you're you're kind of in a in a haze most of the time. Yeah. You know, the, you've got that limited visibility in most cases. Uh, you've got the regulator, you know, so you've got certain things to focus on that are tactile. And yeah. so it, it would be, yeah, I could see where, you know, for me, diving is very calming. I mean, one of my favorite things is a free ascent in limited visibility, you know, where you just watch your bubbles, watch your gauges, and you're totally weightless. The only thing you hear is your own breathing. The only thing you see is your own bubbles. And you can't tell if you're going up or down unless you're looking at your, your depth gauge. You know, so it's, it's uh, you know, just pure solitude to me. And that was some of the greatest moments I've ever had diving have just been doing free ascents with limited viz. Hold on a second. I think audio is going nuts again. Yeah, something like that. Now, did you see the video? The video was... Uh, what video? The, the, I think that was... Did I? Maybe I didn't give it to you guys. Maybe it's a top secret video. Are oh. you finished with the autism item? Yeah, this is a, this is another one by Dive Heart, but it was an old. It's an old video from 2012, but they're talking about uh, some of the therapeutic effects. I just I have issues myself with that. If I were a dive instructor, I would not touch that with a ten foot pole. I also sent you a link, mm -hmm. Scuba Board forums for the same topic. 
Is it's interesting looking at some of the comments. Some people a little upset. Well, no, it, I can see the positive aspects, but I look at the liabilities long range of the fire's instructor, and I gave you a cert C card. Well, the I, thing I don't think I would do that. But they've got one guy here. He's got a he's a, already through his open water, and he's a rescue diver. So it's got a lot to do, I think, with the level you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're talking in different items. I just looked up the medical aspect. They were talking about they believe uh, autism in some cases are due to a lack of oxygen to certain parts of the brain. And they were using hyperbaric chambers. But they were not even getting approval to do that because there is nothing that, you know, no scientific um, programs or whatever the heck they do to validate something. They can't prove it does anything. There are a lot of insurance companies won't cover it. And then if you go to the autism and diving on scuba board, you'll see where a lot of them are having success, but it doesn't say the, and some of them it gives the year of the individual. And they're like here, completely unfocused, prone to bolting, slow to pick up skills. Um, and we're training her weekly. I understand it if you force feed it. But what about a month later after she has a C card? What then? Well, one thing about... Uh uh, you know, dive heart is, is, is like, if you've got a disabled veteran and he can't walk, you know, he's mostly paralyzed and he's going down. Does he get a C card? I have not a clue. See, my point is, does a C card necessarily mean that he's capable of going in the water by himself? And what's to prevent him from doing it by himself without a C card? Well, C card is not a magic item. Yeah. And, and there, there's a difference too. I'm talking about veterans are over usually 18, quite often older. Kids at 12 are not emotionally stable yet. And, of course, that will change based on individual kids. I understand that. But that's a known fact. A lot of people will not train kids, children, under 16 at the minimum. Whereas 12 years old, a lot of people say, hey, it's fine. You know, I think that's up to the instructor. If you have, have don't have good experience with doing younger kids, I think it's within your, your right to not certify younger divers. And that's what amazes me that Patty does. That's like skydiving. you got to be 18. Well, if you happen to own a plane and have your own parachute, you can toss them out at 12. Well, you know, something a little closer to home. My daughter is now got her driving permit, so I've been getting to do a lot of <laughs> riding with her. And while I think she's okay, the task loading is just not there. You know, just They're just not to the point to where... They're, they're they're still trying to build up the muscle memory and get used to things and depth perception and where I think you could learn it earlier or later, but it just seems like it's a lot of effort. And if you translate that into scuba diving or another activity, uh, I think it's going to depend on the person. There's going to be some people who they're not ready yet. That's like how many kids on a farm grew up moving that tractor and that pickup truck. They yeah. learned a lot earlier than 12. Oh, yeah. But they had parental, generally, somebody watching their butt all the time. A controlled environment, so to speak. I, I, I understand this, but anyway, I sent you the link for the forum. It's interesting to look at some of the uh, information. And again, that's what you need to do is look at the pros and cons. And everybody's different. Everybody will react different. And if you're the instructor, good luck to you. Well, that does it for the scuba in the news. We have uh, some photos, photos of the week. And these are the incredible underwater forest at Lake, uh, call it Kandy, K-A-I-N-D-Y, Kandy. Just call it Candy. Candy, I like Candy. Uh, the lake located 129 kilometers from the city of Almaty, Kazakhstan, was created after an earthquake in 1911. A landslide blocked the gorge, formed the natural dam with rainwater filling the valley to create a lake. It's famous for its beauty and opposing trunks of spruce trees that rise out of the turquoise water like ghostly ship mass. Below the surface, however, it's even more amazing. The water is so cold, even in the summer, temperature doesn't exceed 6 degrees Celsius. That foliage still remains in the trees 100 years later. That reminds me of Gilboa. Doesn't it look like... <laughs> yeah. Gilboa's got a few spots like that. And then they've got uh, 10 photos that you can scroll through. So that tree's been there uh, over a hundred years. Needle's still on it. It's like everything above the water line. It's kind of acts like you'd expect. Uh, looks like a weed bed. Pretty small, isn't it? Yeah, it's not a big one. I'd say, you know, when I said Gilboa Quarry, I would say volume-wise, it's pretty similar. 
That looks smaller than Singer Lake. Yeah, could be. I'm actually surprised that the visibility is as good as they're showing there. Well, don't seem to be much uh, area for runoff. It's all rock around the side, it looks like. Shoreline, anyway. But that'd be a bear to get to. <laughs> yeah. We, you have to have dive gear Sherpas take you in there. Absolutely. And then some potentially cool scuba gear. This one was uh, one of our listeners sent to us in the on our Facebook page. And it's a seawater-powered dive light. And the creators are trying to do some crowdfunding. It's called the SWES Seawater Energy System Dive Light. 100% clean energy LED light that is... Soon as it touches the ocean and salt water available in 100 to 300 lumens, it's super rugged, completely submersible dive light, blazes through the darkest waters. The light powers its energy cells from the high concentration of minerals found in salt water with plant-based crystal technology. Results eco-friendly, self-powered, zero-maintenance, handheld dive light that holds up to any adventure. The group hopes to raise $200,000 by August 29th via Indiegogo campaign. To begin serial production of the dive light and finish a SWES ship prototype. I said the members of the group have been doing archaeological deep sea research for 20 years and conducted nine scientific expeditions in seven countries. During their work, they discovered more than 100 historical wrecks in a 2,000-year-old underwater city. They have helped investigators uh, with crimes, find bombs, and explosives from World War II. And if you read Hungarian, you can go to their website. So what do you think? True or BS? Almost sounds too good to be true. That's what my thought is. My now, second thing would be is what are the bio aspects of it? Environmental, any kind of chemical involved? What's the, how do you get rid of it? Well, the, no details on that. Well, what they're talking about is they're saying that it's green. But is this really the potato battery type of idea? And we got two dissimilar metals. You put them in a like a saline type solution. Yeah, potato, lemon, blah blah. Yeah. Yeah. No. That's you know when when I first read that read this. That's what that reminds me of is something along those lines. Because anything that's too good to be true usually is. And to just say you dropped it and then the you know they're, they're making it sound like that there's. That I mean, if it's hundred hundred percent clean energy, then it would have surface applications as well. So you pipe in salt water. That a power plant generate right. energy uh, doesn't. It, but it might be an issue where you know it's it's only going to generate enough power for some LED lights because they're so low voltage consumption. I mean, I'm all for people coming up with new ideas. It's just the BS meter is kind of going off on this one. Yeah, I'm just curious what the energy cells are. Yeah, what's it reacting with? What's its catalyst? It's a and how expensive based, are they? Yeah, plant-based crystal technology. What does that mean? Well, it's kind of like the uh, aluminum foil hats or pyramid-shaped uh, energy collectors. Now, those pyramid hats are not to be laughed at here. Aluminum foil hats work wonders, let me tell you. And they don't have to be pyramid-shaped. Just a regular chrome dome works well to oh, keep the uh, the rays off your head. Absolutely. Just punch little holes in for the ears so you can hear. I like to glue hair to the top of mine. It's like a aluminum toupee. And this one is from... Well, Mac, well, no, just wait a minute. <laughs> Mac, have yes. you had one alien encounter since you started wearing your, your aluminum foil hat? Not that I remember. See that? They have not bothered him since he started wearing his aluminum foil hat. Oh, that does it for me. I'm, I'm sold. nice thing about aluminum foil is it's, you can get it pretty economically. And what's yeah, amazing is a lot of other people have left him alone, too. <laughs> yes. And sometimes that's not all bad. I mean, what other hats can you cook a potato in? Yeah, not not too many. Okay, a group of researchers from the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institute set off a shark cam, one mm -hmm. of our videos of the week, the underwater torpedo, off the coast of Guadalupe Island in Mexico to study great white sharks swimming in the area. The torpedo was filled with six cameras, a guidance system to track signals emitted from acoustic tags attached to the sharks, allowing it to follow the sharks discreetly. Resulting footage from torpedo was far from what the expected team was treated to breathtaking close-up views of the shark attacking and biting a torpedo in swift motions. That's because they didn't have their aluminum hat. If the shark had been wearing it, the torpedo wouldn't have been able to find them. So now, don't get video? ridiculous. When was the last time you saw a shark wearing an aluminum hat? You're just getting carried away, Darren. I haven't. I've, you know, to be honest, I haven't seen a shark wear anything. Yep, but they don't put it on naked and afraid. Yeah. 
because it's not afraid. Yeah, everybody but Chuck Norris. Did you look at the video? Uh, let me see. I think they were talking about it damaged it. I'm, I'm looking at the video. I don't see how it damaged it that much either. That tucker was tough. Kind of cool the way they did. They set the cameras up on that. Yeah, looking at the the, the pictures of it, just kind of got scratched up. Now yeah. I do notice that there's a little logo on the side, Discovery. This wouldn't have anything to do with Shark Week coming up, would it? Possibly. Do you think? Uh, Maybe uh, seed the news media with a bunch of shark stories just before their program. They're not a media company, are they? Uh, how about this for an underwater video? You know, we had that article a few weeks ago about that uh, salvager finding the gold necklace. Here's the video of him actually finding it. I never found anything. <laughs> but it, it's in remarkably good condition. You know how he said, you know, that can't be that good a condition? Yeah. It looks nice in the video. You notice how the guy must be in warm water? Got no gloves on, man. Orlando. Is that where he was at? Well, it depends on the time of year. I don't know. I man, find gold. You, I could go without gloves. Well, <laughs> the only problem without gloves is the zebra mussels around here would kill you. Temperature-wise, <laughs> yeah. you can get away with it sometimes, but not. You know, it, when we've done some of our, uh, what was it, the river dive? Yeah. I think I did that one without gloves, and I tore my hands up. <laughs> yeah so i i find if it comes down to gloves or a hood i usually pull off the hood first yeah and sometimes i'll end up taking the gloves off near the end of the dive because i've gotten too hot on the swim back or something i'll take them off and shove them in the suit i never have trouble with my hands getting warm never i'll keep those gloves on all the time well that does it for scuba the news and all the stuff that surrounds it so we get to that time of show. We get to talk about last week's dives. Hang on a second. Did uh -huh. you take a look at that picture where he's got his hands in the muck? I mean, let me go back. Yeah, look at the picture to the right. Okay, the... The American Parasite? Oh, no. I'm surprised is that, didn't is that a politician? Other than that one. Because we're already talking about the bottom feeders and sharks, right? Yeah. The American Parasite. Parasite uses your body as a personal feeding ground, taking over your first your stomach, then your entire GI tract, forcing you to crave foods, the foods it wants, while slowly destroying your body inside out. Government's finally admitting that this is real. Measurements have been proposed in New York and the county of Mexico to try and stop it. Is it called the Coca-Cola virus or I don't know. I just Mac saw or? it. Well, I followed the link and it's to a company that's trying to sell you key biotics. Oh, one of those probiotic things? Yeah. Testimonials appearing on this site are actually received from actual customers. Their individual experiences reflecting real-life experiences of those who have used our product in some way or another. Send us a bunch of money and we'll fix something you aren't even aware of that you had a problem with. <laughs> okay. so I Sounds like uh, an internet ad. Your computer has viruses. Yeah, here's, the, here's the, the key. Try and leave the page. If it does a pop-up, it says, wait, don't leave yet. That's the perfect sign that you need to leave. Yeah, big time. Yeah. but uh, I just saw the eye of the parasite. They look very interesting. Yeah. Also, if whatever photo they're showing in your ad, you cannot find it all on the site, that's another clue that it's a scam. Well, we've like you said, trying to get off the page. Yeah. We've been all over the place. Yeah, it's a typical show. Yeah. I, I, I think I probably fixed our audio problem. I, I changed the... Uh, the frequency of the recording and also the master volume and it seems to be you know knock on wood holding in there so how about everybody else anybody get any diving in this last week well mac and i did some surveying but i didn't get any diving in when you say survey that was on lake michigan with some side scan yes yes awesome. we went out and ran around the clay banks trying to map them so i've got a program that i'm using called hum viewer that's pretty neat, but I've got multiple files I need to try to stitch together, and I'm not quite sure how to do that. When you say stitch together, are they just like an image file? Uh, they're recording files of all the data from the hummingbird. Uh -huh. So it's got you know the scans that I was using plus the GPS positions, and it kind of maps it out so I can see exactly how I ran and what direction the boat was headed in. And then uh, it kind of plays back what we saw on the screen. So, you know, as we were running lanes, 
it was recording for us and now we can put three lanes together side by side by side and then hopefully make a still image of that overall photo. Hmm. Well, you can always send me the files and I can do some stitching together. I'm looking at the Humviewer website and it looks like they've actually had a, a version within the last year. Yeah, the one I've got is fairly recent and it's, it's uh, independent software. Oh, independent software, you said? Yeah. Because this one, the website it took me to was humviewer.cm-johnson.dk. Yeah. It was, it was almost making me wonder if it was like Johnson's European company, but that could just be a name. Yeah, that that's good. I'm glad because Dr. Depth uh, got bought. So was, was there anything, I mean, you're in the Clay Banks, anything of, of note that was discovered? Uh, Clay Banks. Clay Banks. Lots of pieces that come up. 10 feet or so off the bottom. So I think this would be a great great way to run it and see if we could do it. Well, uh, Jim Kleeman and I uh, actually got out in Lake Michigan and did a dive. Tell me no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, uh, and I won't embarrass Jim too bad, but it had been, let's just say he hadn't dove in 2014 yet. So I, I after completely harassing him, uh, we went and did a dive. And... Uh, we had some numbers. They were a little old, but I think we did discover a new wreck about 500 feet south of the Havana, and and we're going to call it the sand wreck. Oh. Yeah. It, it, it's camouflaged. It looks exactly like rippled ridges in the bottom, and we did find two clusters of zebra mussels. Mm, interesting. Yeah. We did see a fish. It was a big fish, too. Uh, it, at least it looked big. It looked like it was... And I, and I don't, I couldn't even identify the fish. It was a big fat one, about two feet long, kind of high, kind of like a giant perch look to it. But I'm, Jim maintains it wasn't a big perch. But yeah, we had uh, some, we had some numbers that were old. And, you know, maybe we transposed them or put them in. And had we gone to the preserve website, we would have gotten the correct numbers. So <laughs> we, we dropped the anchor right perfectly on the numbers that we had. Went down with a uh, reel, went out to the end of the, well, about halfway through the reel. So maybe we had about 200, not 275 feet of line. He said it was 150 foot reel. So about 75 feet of line, we went out and did a circle. And uh, yeah, didn't find anything. So after we got up and said, well, let's double check the numbers. We went to the preserve website, put those numbers in. Uh, We're about 500 feet off, drove over there. The side scan picked up the wreck. Perfect. So there it was. So we we didn't have time to go and get another dive in. No buoy showing? No buoy showing. There's, You can pick up the buoy on the side scan. So there's the subsurface buoy. Okay. So it needs, a, that's right. It, that one needs a new surface line. Yeah. So there was It was nothing. probably a foot or two below the water sur, water's yeah. surface. Yeah. Because we could, we could see something floating on the side scan, but uh, visibility was, I would say, seven eight feet so not great but not bad what was interesting is uh, when we did our safety stop the it's the thermocline is starting to form you didn't get a really hard thermocline but it was cold in the bottom and warm on the top and as we were doing our, our safety stop you could see the visibility come and go as the current would bring stuff in yeah i was looking at the cook buoy and the surface temp is 72 the temp at 56 feet is 51. Yeah, we had 49 at the bottom. But we were toasty. We we wore shorts and, uh, you know, kind of like an Under Arbor type shirt in our dry suits. And we were plenty warm. Dry suits have a tendency to do that? But we were, I was, we were almost betting we were going to do our Gilboa trick again. Where when we first did our open water cert. You know, the first dive we did after we were certified official divers, we decided to go without the hoods and froze our butts off. And we were half expecting that, but it was it was a pleasant, comfortable dive. So between fifty and fifty six feet, there's a ten degree drop. I believe from six, it from sixty one to fifty one. Now I've got a catalog, and every time they send it to me, it keeps getting bigger and bigger. But they have buoys and sonars and thermal uh, arrays. So we could make one of those buoys, if or uh, like the weather buoy or cook buoy, if we wanted. Well, as long as they keep putting it on cook, that's a good place for it to get some readings. Yeah. If they stop putting it out, then maybe we ought to put one somewhere. But uh, yeah, they're 
gives you a feel for what's going on out there. It looks like it's going to be a great weekend. I was looking at the marine forecast, and they're calling for winds less than 10 knots out of the east, the southeast, and the northeast, which means close to shore on our side of the lake, it's going to be flat. Yeah, we had maybe less, I would say less than a foot. I don't think it ever got over a foot, other than other boats making a wake. I think Jim had his boat up and planing and... We were doing over 40. What day were you out? Uh, we were out Sunday. Probably, let's see, we got to the wreck just a little afternoon. Did you guys happen to go south also? No. Okay. Nope. Yeah, we just we just got out, but it, it was nice. So you said it's good conditions for this weekend. Anybody got any plans to go? Well, I was thinking about going camping this weekend, but if it stays like this, I may end up hauling the boat and doing some diving. There you go. Well, I know the visibility off the pier the other day was maybe 10 feet, depending on where you're at, because a couple of places would go to zero. Uh, I listened to Bob talk about all the stuff they found the other week, so I uh, posted a note for Bob that I appreciate his telling me where things are at, and if you looked at the club site, you can see what I meant. Yeah, we we saw the uh, golf balls. Yeah, yeah. There's about 100 of them. <laughs> and most of them are good. Uh, really surprising. Last, that was off the pier you picked them up? Yeah, yeah. Down at the dead spot in the dead zone at the uh, yeah. south pier and out. And they still use your flag as a training pylon. And uh, nice fish out there, too, especially in that area. Area. I, I noticed that they got the buoys out on the south pier now. Life rings? Life rings. Yeah, I said buoys. Yes. Yeah, they've only had one stolen so far. What they need to do is put a GPS transmitter in the middle of it and just go pick it up wherever it's at. That would work. Change out the batteries once every 90 days or something. Yeah. Low jacket. Exactly. Yeah. So it was it was really nice. Uh, must have been girls' day out because that pier was full of nothing but young ladies. So I picked a good time to go diving. You know, I have to say I think that has become a rite of passage now is that people go find a bikini and then they go walk on the pier. Well, these ladies were down at the two major areas jumping. Excuse me. Okay, yeah, jumping into the water off the pier. They were having a great time. They had a uh, an adult with a buoy ready to go, so they were supervised. But pier jumping was really in vogue last week. It's safely done, I might add. Nobody drowned. Nobody had to use the life items. And they were using scents, and I didn't see anybody drinking. You know, I did see when we were coming in, after the ride, I thought I saw people jumping. Yeah. They've been doing that for 100 years. Leave them alone. Exactly. It's a good day. A lot of fish. Go diving. Yeah. Maybe we need to uh, hand out scuba diving uh, business cards to people who are pier diving, jumping. Go see what it's like under there. Yeah. Well, I, I always like it when they come up and say, are there any rocks where you're at? So if we dive or jump, will we be here? See, those are the people looking ahead, you know, look before you leap. They're asking good, intelligent questions. It's a good spot. I like like. I do water. know if you dive Woods Lake in Kalamazoo today or this week, they did a uh, weed treatment there uh, a couple of weeks ago, and it is not working. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I took some really good video of uh, milfoil, and if it's supposed to do something to milfoil, it ain't. Uh, it goes down 15, 16 feet from the surface, or from the shallows all the way down is weed, 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 weed. Thermocline's about 16 feet. And you want your hood and you want your gloves that quick. Wow. You go through the thermocline, which is then because zero vis for about six feet. Then you hit the colder water, but its visibility is better about a foot because there's no light down there either. But uh, it was a good dive. Enjoyed it. Excellent. Yeah, I went with Kevin. Uh, he did most of the manual labor. We were removing some pilings and some uh, steel pipes near a person's uh, pier. So they would not get impaled when they jumped off their pier. So it was one of those public service dives. Ah, public service. Yeah, so we, we can use their pier whenever we're in that area as a way station. Oh, for a second there, I thought you said way station. Well, that too, probably. <laughs> <laughs> sure, we put our weights there, and then that's where we wait when we're getting ready to jump in the water. Yeah. Yeah. But if you're not getting wet, you don't have a lot of time left, people. Oh, no. This is peak time. Peak yeah, time. Up north, you know, Sheboygan's, that's right around the corner. Yeah. Matter of fact, this time next month, that's where we'll be. Oh, it's that time already. Yes, it is. 
Matter of fact, this time next month, we'll be on our way home. Oh, that's even sadder. On the Sunday. Yeah. yeah that's oh. really not even a month away. Yeah. Well, I'm on vacation this next week, and it is fair week, so I'll be cooking corn dogs and working the gate. I didn't hear anything about diving in there, bud. Oh, no, was diving. Probably not. <laughs> Well, we got anything to plug? Uh, As always, you can go visit our website, www.scubaobsessed.com. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scubaobsessed. Our Twitter account is at scubaobsessed, and we have news feeds that come from a variety of sources, and then we curate content on Scoop It. And Jim, how's the preserve doing? Oh, we're still collecting memberships. So if you'd like to... Sign up. We got another dive shop signed up, so we're now over 30 air fills. 30? Yeah, 30 air fills for 25 bucks. So they can always send you a check to your normal address. They don't have to go through the site on the computer, Sure, Sure, you could send a check to uh, Michigan Underwater Preserve, care of Michigan Maritime Museum in South Haven, or you can pay online with credit card or PayPal. And I'm sure if you find Jim on a dark corner, he'll take your money there, too. Doesn't even have to be a dark room. Now, what is this new dive shop? This one is in our backyard, the Zealand area, I understand. Uh, yeah, I need to pull the file up. Hang on a minute. <laughs> I should have been prepared. All Tech Sports and Scuba Incorporated. Their phone number is 616-772-0088. They are graciously giving four air fills. And their website is www.alltechsports.com. And that's A-L-T-E-K sports.com. So if you're in the, I mean, this is another, this is a, what's nice about this, it's in the preserve area. And uh, I also noticed that they have home brewing supplies. <laughs> so you can get your air filled your dive gear and then get some yeast for your beer making and if you talk to tim just right he might help you find a ride in that area the highland zealand area to get out and get wet yeah you know that's the name of a good boat somebody ought to do that now the get wet yeah. yeah i think that would make a good dive boat now we didn't talk about the news and i've been looking for the information but did you see that there was the the couple divers who got in trouble on the tug off Sagatuck? Yeah, one of them ended up being hospitalized, but all reports seem to be that he's recovering well. Okay, good. Uh, I've heard different stories, you know, that he had limited experience but was diving with a very experienced diver, and he had some sort of regulator malfunction. And then got tangled up in line about three feet from the surface. Uh, it was reported that they performed CPR on him on the boat. And if you've ever... Um, CPR does work at times. If you can start it early and continue it, you know, the sooner you start it, the better the chance of recovery. Uh, this guy... Apparently regained consciousness while on the boat, was in and out of consciousness when they loaded him into the ambulance. And I haven't heard if he's been released from the hospital yet, but uh, rumor has it he's doing well at the local hospital. Well, that's good. Yeah, because I, I looked at four articles, and they're all within eight hours of each other, saying slightly different things. But none of them had, you know, name, where the diver was from. And then any follow-up on condition. It just, the article just ended. Uh, but it, it's, you know, because you're, you're filtering it through regular news media. So when they say regulator malfunction, you don't know, is that a free flow, uh, what it was. And then he had a dive buddy. So I'm thinking, okay, well, you've got a regulator malfunction. If you had the, you know, if you're doing the right thing and you had enough air and you had a dive buddy, well, that shouldn't be a problem. And then they said he got tangled up in the rack. And I have heard that there's on that, tug there can be quite a bit of downriggers caught on it but to get three feet from the surface and then have to be cut loose is what it sounded like so hopefully the, the story comes out so we can learn from it yep but hopefully uh, everyone recovers and no permanent damage i agree but back on the preserve <laughs> so get your membership uh, you get some free air fills and you help out a good cause I was looking at that at the buoys. Like I said, we had the catalog. Each temperature sensor in a dive string 
is about $250. So you figure if you have eight of them on a line, not including the cabling, you've got two grand in temperature sensors. And then if you've got uh, current sensors or other devices, that all adds up. And then you got your buoy. So it, they, they say you can start off with a buoy with uh, sensors on it for about two grand. But I'm going to bet it's closer to five to ten grand by the time you're all said and done. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And we're, we're struggling right now just to get materials to put, replace the milk jugs on the surface with actual buoys, mooring buoys. So, yeah, yeah memberships would certainly help. Or mm-hmm. donations. Yeah, donate. You know, if you've got a, I guess if you have a marine supply business, would you guys be willing to take donations of equipment? Certainly. We'll take donations of equipment and we'll, you know, you want to buy a nun buoy, we'll uh, mark right on there, donate it by. So there's a chance to do some advertising on the water. Yep. So the website is www.diveswmup.com. And we do have that, uh, the new dive shop on there, Altec Sports and Scuba Incorporated. And there's also a map. So if you're somewhere in Michigan and you want to see where those sponsor dive shops are, the map will come up and it will show you little icons showing their locations. And my thanks to our webmaster, Mr. Darren, for taking care of that for us. Well, you're certainly welcome. So are we getting close to that time? I'd say we're just about there. Do you got anything to plug, Mac? No, sir. I am none. Yes, nothing today. (laughs) Nothing today. (laughs) you have golf balls for sale, Mac? I I put them on the trailer. That's going to be a bonus for uh, whoever gets that trailer, that lot. Oh. (laughs) I thought you said it was sold. No, no, I didn't say it was sold. Oh. I'm hoping to sell all of it at one shot. That's why oh. the, uh, the golf balls, and I did look them over. Some of them, I swear, could not have hit but once, and that was out in the river. My, 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 mm-hmm. ear, my ears weren't going good. I thought you said licked them over. Only the, only the tasty ones. <laughs> <laughs> so are you taking bids on the trailer? I'm open to anything. Who has the most cash has the most bottles. <laughs> mm. I mean, there's a, there's a dozen Hutchies right there, plus over a dozen Milks. Those alone are, and not to mention the six anchors, not right. to mention the other junk anchors. So, so you're actually selling the bottles on the trailer or the trailer and the bottles come with it? Hey, the trailer, I, I'll sell that too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to figure out the angle here. So have you had anybody who's interested in any of this stuff? Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm waiting to uh, have him get back to me. Yeah. Well, I, I've got some friends who are in the milk bottles. so I'll give you a buck 27 for it. For the milk bottle? I'll give you a buck twenty-eight for the milk bottle. Which milk bottle? <laughs> yeah, I'm afraid he's probably got one that's worth a buck twenty-eight. I'm sure I do. I did. I I looked up the value for a few things. Those I may have in my drawer over here. That one I was going to just give away. I realized it was forty-something bucks for that one. Oh wow! Yeah, I decided maybe I wouldn't put that on that trailer out there. But all the Hutchies are good. They all have tops. They're all embossed. Oh, I take it back. Nine are embossed. Two are not. They all have tops. One of these days, I'm going to find one of them. I agree with you. I'm going to find one too. I don't understand why you guys haven't. As much as I'm too, bu- I'm too busy picking up embossed beer bottles, and <laughs> glass bottles, and I still want to have my beer bottles filled. Well, that last bottle I had, remember, and I to the old, you know, to the highest bidder who wanted to open it. Yeah. yeah. How'd that go? Not very well. <laughs> it, it was placed into a trash receptacle as soon as it was opened oh was it, uh, was it you toxic would, you would yeah you would not have wanted to drink that <laughs> you got to remember that that bailey's got has got a cream base and if yeah. you look up, i think they they said is 30 days once you open it and i'm quite sure that was down there longer than 30 days so it had been opened then no no it had not been opened but it might have been warm at some point well it, i'm sure it was past the 30 days no matter what <laughs> yeah i mean i've got bailey's in my closet that you know, a little older than 30 days, but it's still fine. They say you have to drink it 30 days after it's open? Best when drank 30 days, blah, blah, blah. I think if I was a liquor company, I'd say that for all my products. <laughs> 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 well, you guys ready? Yep. I'm ready. Okay, this one is, and since we won't be having a show next week because of the youth fair and I won't be around to record it, so we'll see everybody in two weeks, but this one's in honor of it. A couple scuba divers were visiting the livestock Livestock, oh goodness. A couple of scuba divers were visiting the livestock exhibit at a country fair. A wife was with her husband. The wife, an overbearing wife, asked one of the bull breeders how many times a week his animals performed and their stud functions. 
Oh, about four to five times, replied the owner, turning to her husband with a scornful look. She said, you see, four to five times a week is not unusual among champions. Realizing that he had just contributed to the woman's abuse of her husband, the breeder quickly added, of course, we never use the same cow twice. Ooh. I bet that perked up the husband. <laughs> yeah, he's thinking line up four or five of those cows. We'll be all set. <laughs> <laughs> so until next time, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And hopefully no cows were harmed in the making of tonight's show. Oh, I, I have to go start talk shoes so I can end this thing. It just could go on and on. Scuba Obsessed Weekly Podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new, uh, from, you know, all those things. Oh, let me look at my notes.